and welcome to Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence brought to you by the TCT content team. I'm Laura Griffiths, TCT Head of Content, and I'm joined today by our Senior Content Producer, Sam Davis. Hello, Sam. Hello, how are you? I'm not bad. We have both had our booster jabs today and both fine so far, so that's good. Yeah, I was slightly worried when I realised you were having yours on the same day (laughs) that we could easily get halfway through and both just be feeling a bit worse for wear and there would be it might be fine if one of us did and the other one could pick up the slack but if we both go down then I don't know what we do we don't even have that much time left in the office to re-record so well we've got the next hour so let's just try and hold it together mm-hmm. for that and I'm, I'm sure we'll be okay um today's episode is part one of our end of the year roundup in which we will talk about all the biggest stories from the last 12 months and when I was looking through First of all, I can't believe what a busy year this has actually been, considering the year before we had our COVID Live blog, and I, I felt like a lot of content kind of spilled over into this year, and I'm surprised at how many big stories we actually covered, and it's really just hard to believe that we're here again in December. Yeah, it was strange looking at the lineup of things we're, we're going to try and talk about today, and the first couple that we're going to touch on seem about six months ago, and it's... Mm-hmm. One of them is, you know, 11 months to the day. And it's like, that's a a whole year's gone by. It just feels so odd. In one way, it doesn't feel like it's gone quickly, but in another, it really has. Yeah, the last two years just kind of feel like one extended Mm. year, really. And not just in terms of the current uncertainty that we're under, but even just some of the trends that we've seen that started to emerge at the end of last year and we've really uh, seen kind of come to fruition throughout the last uh, 12 months. So there will be a few stories where we'll kind of touch on things uh, from the end of last year as well. But things were different though, Sam. We did get on planes this year. We finally saw TCT360 happen. And looking back over the content that you've compiled in your end of year roundup, which people can see on the 20th, not too sure what date this episode's going out, so that may be irrelevant information, but <laughs> check that out on our, on our website. We've had some really great stories and some uh, really great moves in the additive manufacturing industry this year. So um, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to, to reflecting on this. So let's start, let's reflect on the last year using our additive manufacturing lens, starting all the way back in January with an acquisition which is one that surprised us all, and it was Desktop Metal's $300 million takeover of Envision Tech. A real surprise acquisition. Um, Desktop Metal, as we know up until this point, had only focused on metal 3D printing technologies, taking on board Envision Tech, one of another leader in the industry, been around for over two decades. Um, this was quite shocking news to, to have in January, Sam. Yeah, I can't, I don't recall prior to it happening, Desktop Metal ever really publicly suggesting an expansion into polymers was on the cards at any point Mm -hmm. um obviously their name suggests they're all about one particular half of the industry um but so it did as you say it did kind of catch us by surprise i think probably a lot of other people by surprise but then when we featured testament on the cover of issue five i think it was of Mm -hmm. tst magazine this year rick phillip was saying in that article that um he's always believed there were huge opportunities on the polymer side of the industry and and in envision tech they've obviously integrated a company that was already well established Mm -hmm. that's metal still kind of in the process of commercializing some of its flagship products but envision tech's been around for what maybe nearly 20 years Mm -hmm. a play in loads of different industries there's a thousand customers i think in, in in the dental space alone and then 
when they acquired Adaptive 3D later in the year, I think that was around May time, um, it came like a month after it was announced that Envision Tech and Adaptive 3D were partnering, so the, the 8K DLP machine was compatible with Adaptive 3D's tough rubber resins, and then it kind of started to feel like, the, you know, although there was that early surprise and maybe even confusion about the acquisition, it kind of gradually appeared as though it made sense, and there was a a bit of a plan in place for for what desktop metal wants to do with Envision Tech. Yeah, definitely. And it it all falls into this, which we've talked about quite a lot on this podcast, the additive manufacturing 2.0 vision. As you say, Mm. Sam, Envision Tech already very well established in certain industries like dental, like jewellery, industries that desktop metal was already touching on, but this will really help bolster their play in those industries. And just on Adaptive 3D as well, a big part of this Envision Tech acquisition, it was not just about um, the hardware knowledge, but also about the materials knowledge as well. They've mm-hmm. got such a huge catalogue of materials and desktop metal have really been extending their mm-hmm. metals um, catalogue as well this year. Um, so it's all about touching all these bases to ensure that additive manufacturing is ready for production for this next phase, taking it out of just prototyping into real mass manufacturing applications. And I really feel like we could just fill this podcast on a month by month basis by various desktop metal acquisitions Mm -hmm. and technology developments. So we're going to really, really make an effort to not do that on this podcast, but there are more acquisitions to come um, later on in the episode. Um, another notable story as well in January was um, Protolabs completing its acquisition of 3D Hubs, uh, which saw the 3D printing networks change its brand to just Hubs. Um, so as we know, 3D Hubs was this huge online 3D printing network bringing together all these different um, 3D printing services, uh, 3D printing users to provide 3D printing services. Now they're under the, the Protolabs umbrella it kind of bolsters this more industrial focused feel that these guys were going for i remember back at ces maybe like four or five years ago now and hearing uh, 3d hub ceo uh, bram desvart talking about uh, the company's ambitions and how 3d printing could change the way we manufacture and distribute products their ambitions at that time i think it was around ten thousand uh, printers they, they had set up so ten thousand um different hubs um, and today that has really really extended itself and it's gone beyond 3D print with various different kind of manufacturing technologies now offered via its online network, which now has around, um, which now serves around 145,000 engineers. So now moving into February, I feel like we're speeding along at quite a good pace with this. I know I'm, I'm now holding things up by saying that. Uh, moving on to February, Mark Forge announced its intent to go public on the New York Stock Exchange, continuing a trend that we'd started to see at the end of last year for additive manufacturing companies going public via mergers and acquisitions. And Sam, you've spoke to Mark Forge very recently, and I know you've spoken to a few companies that have also um, gone public this year. There's other companies like Ascentium, Fast Radius, and Velo3D. It's really been a, a huge trend. Yeah, it has. And I think um, I'm hesitant to quote what Benny Buller told me at Formnext because I want to use it for a feature <laughs> we're doing at the start of next year. But he had some quite interesting thoughts on the 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 trend as a kind of general thing in the industry. Um, and obviously, they're a company that have gone public via a, a SPAC. And so Mark Forge, for me, it kind of felt inevitable a little bit that a company like Mark Forge was, was going to go down this route they've kind of been quite successful all the way through from when they first launched quickly established a product portfolio of seven 3d printing systems um they've installed those products inside ten thousand facilities in 70 countries print more than 10, 10 million parts they say and 
and then they obviously announced DFX20 at uh, Formnext this year too, which is a much larger platform than previous models in response to uh, the demand from their customers. And generally, when you speak to Mark Forge and you speak to people about Mark Forge, you know, the, the technology looks good. It, it seems to work. You don't hear a bad word to say about them, mm-hmm. really. Um, they found applications in a, in a load of industries like quite public about what those applications are and it was no surprise to me that an opportunity to go public presented itself and it's pursued that um i know there's kind of similarities in the technology with desktop metal and obviously they did that at the back end of last year and obviously it's a bit of a trend for companies at the moment in the am space to pursue that but obviously going back through the decades the likes of stratasys and 3d systems the leading companies in the space have always gone down this route and I think mm-hmm. Mark Forge have always fancied themselves as a leader in this space and I don't think you could argue that at this point they are one of you know the leading companies here. Mm-hmm. Yeah definitely and you know we, we are seeing those companies now as you say like the Velo 3Ds of the industry that, that, that want to be those those leading well-known companies in the sector mm-hmm. and I think the fact that they, they're going public I, I, I hope that also says something about um, the maturity of the industry and, and, and how people outside of additive manufacturing um, see, see the industry and, and see the technology and, and the value in it and we do actually have a feature coming up in the first issue of next year so I'm not going to talk about it too much but just looking a bit more closely at um, these mergers and acquisitions and and what that means to the industry and, 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 and why this has all kind of happened around the last couple of years when you know truthfully it's been a difficult time for a, a lot of industries, industries have really struggled over the last couple of years, we've talked about that within additive manufacturing and you know the way some companies have, have had to consolidate have have closed down but how other companies have also really thrived as well they've they've found Mm. ways for um additive manufacturing's benefits to to really show themselves and 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 how they can be used in challenging times and and used to disrupt for for good and you know this kind of acceptance of of the technology but um look out for that in the first issue of 2022 and you can subscribe at tsdmagazine.com for free on that i've had one person in the early conversations I've had ahead of the feature next year, and this is a nice little segue on to what we're going to talk about next, pretty much suggest that it's, it's no coincidence that this is all happening subsequent to the, the pandemic and the supply chain um, difficulties that were had and mm-hmm. how AM was then able to kind of prove out some of its capability to, to add a bit of dynamism and flexibility um in supply chains during a crisis. Um, so I don't know whether we'll look back on that in a few years and think it was it was definitely due to that or whether it was mm-hmm. just coincidence, but I've already heard that raised as a, a potential reason why it's all kind of kicked off in the last 18 months. I mean, and that's interesting because this month, as you say, good segue, was the month that we really um, started to look at additive manufacturing's role in supply chain. We, we had a panel session, we, we had a feature yeah. in the mag talking to various industry experts about what the technology's role is within that. And there's obviously different levels of this. There's um, companies adopting additive manufacturing to completely overhaul their supply chains for certain applications, or there's using additive manufacturing to bring certain elements of manufacture closer to the point of need and um, to kind of minimize that, that, that need for such a, a large supply chain. And then using additive manufacturing as this, this backup tool too, in case we do have disruptions again like this in future and having something else to, to rely on 
and I think those conversations have really continued throughout the last year and of course some people are less enthusiastic about that about whether this is going to stick or not because Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of ways we we experienced um not to the same extent but a similar sort of hype around 3d printing again when uh, when the pandemic first hit and we were talking about using additive manufacturing to to make face shields and various bits of PPE and to to help with workers on the front line. And then the conversation became about supply chain and how additive manufacturing could be used to help show them up and and offer alternatives. That was kind of a nice thing to see. But as we know, in this industry, we do have to be cautious and um, similar to how we had a bit of a hype wave around consumer 3D printing. We do have to look at the the reality of that and who is actually using it. Is this just a temporary thing? Is is this actually going to stick around? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, obviously, the the supply chain disruptions, as a general thing, is are quite frequent. But supply chain disruptions of the scale that we had eighteen months ago, I, I think, is is not likely to happen that much. And and mm-hmm. so we had examples um, in in the feature we published in the first issue of the magazine. I think it was um, of companies pivoting quickly from one product to another. You know the the NASA pharyngeal swabs that we've all been sticking in our faces for for a year or so now, <laughs> designing them and getting it to volume production inside three months, and then there was the Ascentium example of um, producing a small volume of face mask part while in the background getting the tool in ready for injection molding, and then scaling up. And I don't know really in normal times how many of those instances and examples actually serve a, a real purpose kind of day to day and I don't I don't then know whether companies invest in the technology for it mostly to just be sitting around just in case um, I know that Zometry were making an example in in that piece that you have to factor in the risk into the cost of your supply chain mm-hmm. it's just whether companies will and whether they'll really feel the need to I guess um, but I think I guess all, all we can do at this point is show that there are examples of how it might work and then I guess let's let industry figure out whether it will work in in the kind of real world it's easy for us to write it down on a piece of paper and suggest it but to actually implement it and it be kind of you know make economical sense mm-hmm. is another thing entirely I think to that point, though, I'm going to use a quote from Stephanie Brickbead from um, Deutsche Bahn, who said in an interview earlier this year, talking about um, using additive manufacturing for spare parts, that the pandemic has really forced companies to innovate because you've had to Mm -hmm. think differently about the way you do things. It's just now about whether or not you do carry that forward. And, you know, maybe it was just used for one application and now you've got to do the application discovery again and work out what else you could use it for. But it has at least lit a fire under some people, some companies um, to to give it a try and, and, and see where it can make a difference. So moving now on into March and Stratasys announced plans to launch a powder bed fusion 3D printing system based on high speed sintering. Sam, I know you've had many conversations with Stratasys um, and also the uh, the inventor of this technology as well this year. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so this had been coming for a long time or at least it felt like it. Um, Stratasys had kind of basically made their move a couple of years back when they took up a 45% stake in Zar3D, who were licensing high-speed sintering technology, which is where the, the inventor Neil Hopkinson was working. Um, and by the time they uh, were acquiring the company fully, in which I think happened in maybe September, um, the, the, at that point they were rounding out 
a pretty complete polymer 3D printing portfolio. So Stratus, obviously, the inventors of FDM, they acquired Polyjet technology for Object maybe nearly 10 years or so back now. And then they'd also brought in RPS and Origin mm -hmm. uh, at the back end of last year and start of this year to resin-based technologies. And then through the acquisition of Zar3D, they were getting a, a powder system to, um, they've changed the name of the technology to Selective Absorption Fusion. Mm -hmm. um, it's really easy to say. Yeah, SAF. <laughs> um, but the, the goal remains the same, and, and that is basically to meet volume production needs. Um, they've improved the tech a little bit, it must be said, building in the ability to maintain a firmly stable mound of powder when distributing material across the bed. And then any overflow is recirculated quickly to minimize um, unnecessary thermal exposure and, and aging of the powder. Um, and they're targeting applications in a load of industries, automotive, consumer products, medical. Uh, starting with PA11 immediately, PA12 is going to follow next year. And then there's a, a roadmap of, of other materials that they'll, they'll work on uh, in time. And I think as well, the, the machines will be shipping out uh, early next year too. Mm -hmm. And we have also seen some partnerships off the back of this to um to extend that that workflow. We've seen a partnership with uh, Dimension to to finish those SAF printed parts, and we mm -hmm. saw some examples at TCT three hundred and sixty back in September. And great to see that already kind of been built out into a proper end to end workflow. Yeah, and Neil Hopkinson, I spoke to him at uh, Fall Next. He was really, I think, infused on one hand, but kind of relieved if like he filed the patent in 2003 and so it's been this really long journey to get to this point where you know going into next year they'll they'll actually have a product on the market and it'll be being used by companies and mm -hmm. um yeah i think um he's really excited to finally get it out there rather than you know just demonstrating the technology as a kind of you know as a demo rather than actually seeing it in the field and being able to show you parts that have come off it that are being used in the real world. Today's episode is sponsored by 3D Systems. Here, Sam Green, 3D Systems Professional Printer Category Manager, discusses advancements in polymer materials to increase AM repeatability, productivity and part performance. We know that 3D printing has been moving for some time now from a predominantly prototyping tool to a manufacturing tool. And the real end game really is for 3D printing not to replace traditional manufacturing, but to support that, adding breadth and depth and agility and complexities to where it's uh, really required. SLS is a great contender for producing uh, plastic, true plastic parts, thermoplastics in PA12, nylons. However, the drawback of many thermoplastic technologies has been the process by which these individual layers of the parts are melded together. So large thermal discrepancies can occur typically across either a single part where you display different mechanical properties at one end of the part and different mechanical properties at the other end. And the same is true if you have a batch of parts. But what we've really done, we've created the new SLS 380 3D printer. And this is designed to deliver consistent and repeatable parts. So we've installed eight individually controlled heaters and then we've installed a high resolution IR camera that's able to take 100,000 thermal data samples from within the build chamber 
every second. So the system's algorithm is able to quickly identify any areas where there's high thermal gradient uh, or very low thermal gradient, and then it immediately adjusts the duty cycle of the relevant heater to remove that thermal discrepancy and ensure a more consistent sintering process. And ultimately, this uh, temperature stability creates significantly higher part yields and ultimately a more efficient process and even lower part costs. You guys have talked a lot about advancing the science and one of those areas is photopolymer resins. Can you just elaborate on how you're leveraging that to deliver production grade part performance there? We've been able to develop a series of novel patented chemistries and these have really opened the door to the first true production ready photopolymers for additive manufacturing. So we started this process for the figure four 3D printer with our tough black 20 material. This along with other production grade materials that we've released since then, all these materials are tested to demonstrate that they can retain most of their mechanical properties and typically up to eight years indoor and two years outdoor. 30 years ago, 3D Systems invented the SLA 3D printing uh, technology, uh, which uses a vector laser to scan and cure resins in a vat. In contrast to that, the figure four, it still uses a vat of course, but it replaces that laser with a projector-based imaging system that cures a whole layer at a time rather than point by point. So the great advantage of this is, of course, uh, speed. Figure four is unique in that it is a non-contact membrane technology, which means the part does not come into contact with a transparent layer at the bottom of the print tray. So the end game has always been to port over the revolutionary material advances we've made from the projector-based figure four to our SLA range, such as the Pro X800. Back in July, we launched the first of these materials. It's called the Accurate AMX Rigid Black, a high-strength uh, production-grade SLA material with really good environmentally stabilized properties that can withstand years of indoor, outdoor UV and humidity exposure. It's ideal for large one-to-one scale automotive, consumer durable mounts, frames, jigs, fixtures, or internal frames in things like such as uh, white goods. But taken together, we now have a very powerful solution mix when it comes to resins. If you need small batch quantities of tens to hundreds of thousands of production grade plastic parts, the figure four is an excellent solution. And now if you need large one-to-one scale, large production parts, we now have our SLA platform with the first in our range of Acura AMX materials. To learn more about long-term resin performance, visit mytct.co forward slash 3D systems pod or click the link in the description. So over in April now and another acquisition, this time in software, um, Materialize announced its intent to acquire Link3D, which it has since done. Last month, was it, Sam, in November, around four next time? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that has now happened. Materialize, of course, very well known in the industry, been around for 30 years, a software giant, has referred to itself many a time as a software backbone of the AM industry. We did cover this news already on the podcast when it first happened and great to see a company like Link3D, which, you know, talking about these companies that, that see themselves as, you know, kind of they're um, wanting to be right, right at the front of the industry, wanting to be these heavyweights. I think Link3D really present themselves in that way. You know, you see them absolutely everywhere. And so seeing this uh, Link3D's expertise now and married with uh, Materialize, you know, I'm quite excited to see where that goes in the next year. You know, this really kind of rounds up Materialize's um, software portfolio with Link3D's um, MES solution and um, together with Materialize Magic Software Suite 
and um, which they're calling a unified and cloud-based software platform that will enable users to run efficient repeatable and automated processes for mass production of identical or customized products um, so another thing as well that plays into this whole next generation of additive manufacturing really getting that whole um, process workflow together ticking all the boxes of software hardware materials post-processing all of that stuff um, and how software really just goes from the, the start to the, to the end of that process yeah this is an exciting partnership really and it was a deal for 33.5 million dollars so um pretty impressive that sounds for some reason and i i don't really know anything about the valuation of companies but that struck me as quite cheap when you see some of the other deals being made well Uh, what are we paying you sam (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, but yeah you throw me there um (laughs) but i kind of gather it was one of those that immediately just makes sense for all parties um it's obviously a great validation of of what link 3d are doing and what they're bringing to market but i kind of gather from the materialized side it's one of those cases where if they really wanted to they could maybe build out some of these capabilities in the house and do it themselves mm-hmm. but that would take x amount of years i don't know how long link 3d have been working at all of their offerings but um it's a good few years and instead they could just integrate an existing kind of suite of technologies which are already being utilized by you know some big name players and at the same time with this deal in particular it kind of helps materialize bring about a shift to cloud-based offerings that mm-hmm. you know link 3d actually has some know-how in already so yeah it, it makes sense all around mm-hmm yeah and i think we've seen that an awful lot in the industry not just this year but over the last few years a lot of consolidation um companies not wanting to reinvent the wheel instead bring in other expertise in-house uh, via acquisitions we've seen an awful lot of that happen and 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 it does make sense you know that this industry for a long time was very much in its own little pockets of everybody wanting to do their own machines materials and software and, you know not using any kind of like outside parties you have to just get everything from the one place but you know seeing it now it's not necessarily collaboration but it really is leveraging each other's expertise and and you know bringing that in rather than just trying to do everything yeah i, I gather there's probably like a fine line between whether you decide to be a competitor or a collaborator like mm-hmm. materialized could have easily gone the other way and gone no we're doing this ourselves and we'll compete yeah. with 3d and i to a certain extent that's good for the industry that competition but I wonder from the user side whether you get to a point where it's just like stop making it difficult for us <laughs> like it doesn't matter what brand name you guys are all working under just give us the technology and and you know rather than I don't know I guess having to figure out which one to go for whether it's materialized on 3D and this kind of alternate universe is just a bit of a waste of time for for people who want to use the technology Oh, definitely. And I think that is especially the case with software. There's so many pockets of software that you've got to deal with from like build prep to, you know, support software to actual, you know, monitoring the build, all that kind of stuff. And then this stuff that that comes after it as well. I mean, it's a bit of a minefield anyway. So the idea of having this all, as you say, Sam, like under one roof in in this one kind of like end to end package, it, it, it will hopefully make it a lot much easier for people to adopt. 
So moving now into May, which is normally a busy time for us in terms of traveling and going to trade shows, but of course that didn't happen this year. Um, but we did see several launches, including one from Farsoon, uh, which continued the trend for multi-laser systems, which has started to emerge at the end of last year with companies um, such as SLM Solutions and Additive Industries and Velo3D as well, all launching machines with at least eight lasers on board. I think the max was SLM Solutions with the 12 laser machine. Yeah, so they, they They've continued this trend with the launch of the SF seventy two one M eight, the least memorable machine <laughs> I think I've ever come across. But hey, it's very powerful, and the eight, of course, stands for the eight lasers on board. And um, it has a build volume of seven hundred twenty by four twenty by four twenty millimeters. And the company says they're offering this to address the challenges of size constraints, process control, cost efficiency, and production stability. Uh, it predicts a high volume sales production in terms of user applications and in the mold and tooling industries, automotive and large format industrial manufacturing markets. So. Fasoon has been so busy this year in terms of um, launches and they were of course at our TCT Asia show earlier this year as well and with the dual laser flight technology and the launch of several new materials, various partnerships as well with companies like Avonic for materials too and they've actually just um, announced a a big milestone as well for November. I believe um, one of the highest uh, machine sales sells 40 plus uh, 3D printing systems in one month which is incredible really this is a month where we've already seen um other big machine sales from companies like desktop metal who've just recorded was it around 7.8 billion worth sorry sorry 7.8 million somebody a billion they could they close and say goodbye Uh, (laughs) 7.8 million uh, worth of machine sales um to a big automotive supplier so it has been a huge month for that but far soon they're a company that you know they do an awful lot but they seem to just like quietly keep keep going in the background you know doing really well with their machine sales and partnerships and launching new systems and i think this has been a, a really exciting year for them yeah they're going really well like you, you look around the time we're talking about now may and they 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 launch um, a couple of machines at tst asia they um announced as well a kind of development to the to the flight technology but while they're kind of doing all of that work in the R&D and getting new machines out there, you have announcements like we've had on the, the day we're recording this where um, it's 40, mi- 40 million, no, $15 million <laughs> worth of sales um, in inside a month, which is the most they've ever made in a month um, from, you know, the 40 machine sold plus service and application contracts and material sales as well. Um, and they're then ex- expanding a... Um, a facility for for polymer materials production um you know they they they're making new technology but they're also you know selling existing technology and doing really well and on the eight layers of machine obviously they weren't the first to do it um it kind of you know go beyond the four layers of machine but i don't imagine they'll be the last and i think that's a really promising sign mm-hmm. for the industry that there's a there appears to be a demand for for that amount of productivity um in am machines particularly metal am machines um and so yeah far sooner are doing really well but i think you could say the same for quite a few um in that metal am space and i know we're going to come on to another next month 
Yeah, and just a few other notes about Farsoon as well in terms of the machine installations. They announced another milestone um, back in August that they had reached over 500 machine installations mm-hmm. of both its polymer and metal systems. And there's apparently an additional 200 AM machines installed as development or demo systems. Um, a lot of those were actually in operation within the automotive and aerospace sectors. So I think it was around 80 metal machines um, within those sectors there with some companies, of course, with large fleets of systems systems you know 18 systems at falcon tech at we next they've got 11 it's not just that they're you know they're selling machines they're selling multiple machines to customers which already proves that they're obviously working these companies are obviously churning out parts to increase the capacity to this much and with this increased laser power with this machine you know we're talking about productivity and how increased laser power really helps with that um, with scaling up production and i imagine we're going to see huge numbers of parts coming out of these facilities yeah i think i think there was a quote in the in the announcement today that there's a a strong machine order backlog and when you think they've kind of made that announcement in the summer about the install base of 500 that you know already it's going to kind of exceed that going into 2022 without mm-hmm. them taking another order yeah. i know they, they got a load last month but there's there's kind of a you know a backlog there and so that install base is is going to grow um and i guess you know far soon's job is building out the capacity to to serve that demand but i guess they'll see it as the demand is there and and that's the best thing. Mm -hmm. And also in May, we published the first of our Innovators on Innovators series, which we've already got some great interviews, which we can't wait to show you lined up for next year. Mm -hmm. Um, And Sam, you got to sit back and listen in on a conversation between Hans Langer, founder of EOS, and Lynn Kaiser of Hyperganic. What was that like to sit in and just listen to these two just just chat about software and and the things that they've invented? It It was really good. I spoke to Hans Langer nearly three years ago now I think I went over to, to Munich to see him and we we booked in an hour's interview and it and it easily exceeded two hours um <laughs> he he was just so happy and he's obviously you know a founder of the company he's a pretty busy guy but he was just so happy to talk about everything and go through the history of a VOS with me and then I spoke to Lynn um at the start of this year and he kind of had the same thing about him where you you get him on, on the subject of, of his company and the technology they're bringing to market and the the problem that is to get him to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I we kind of came up with the idea for this type of podcast about a year ago and then in the early part of la- this year, we were working out how we'd do it, how we'd record it, um, and more importantly, who we could get to do the first one because um, we were still really figuring things out and I mentioned it to Lynn um in the spring and he was up for it um and then very casually just said oh, I'll get my good friend Hans Langer to do it and it was kind of the perfect first one first kind of pairing to do it because mm-hmm. I really they both fancy themselves as these kind of visionaries and they've got loads of really big and ambitious ideas about the future um and they are good friends they met a few years ago um they've they've worked together in the past and they were both great and so curious about the other's background and what was particularly nice about the conversation I thought was that Hans who as I said you know founded EOS one of the oldest AM companies and has been in the industry for you know 30 years um was so impressed and so infused about what Hyperganic are bringing to the market and he mentions um in the podcast the development of a rocket engine that was designed by hyperganic software using ai algorithms and 
when the part was printed, that's the first time that any of them had actually seen what the design was going to look like. And his conclusion from that is that we're kind of entering a new chapter of, of how parts might be designed. Um, and, you know, obviously Lane is biased because he's the founder and CEO of Hypergannic, but he, he kind of believes that too. Um, and, you know, from there, for the rest of the podcast, they kind of pondering what that might look like going forward. Um, and so, yeah, it was really fun to sit in and, and listen to it, but I didn't, I didn't listen to anything that anybody who's listened to the podcast didn't hear. It's all in there. We didn't chop anything <laughs> out. So go and listen to it, I would say. Yeah, we'll put a link in the episode description. You can go back and listen to that. And it's honestly just very nice to hear two people who obviously we're calling innovators for this series. It's mm. someone who's been in the industry for, for 30 years and then someone who's relatively new to the industry. It was very refreshing to hear them both have that same level of enthusiasm, you know, for someone mm. who's been in it for such a long time, was there at the start. And and then Lynn, of course, talking about the things that he's learned and really, you know, ad- ad- admires about, about Hans Langer. And it, it was just a really positive conversation. I know that, that Lynn is very enthusiastic anyway in, in any mm. conversations that, that, that you've had with him, Sam. He's obviously very um, very keen to, to talk about what, what Hypergenic are doing and, and what a game changer it is. But um, yeah, I, 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 just, I just think I just really liked hearing both of these um, influential voices in the industry just come together and, and just put the industry in a very positive light and both be very hopeful about the future of the technology. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so moving into June now, which was a really, really busy month. And usually I always find coming into the summer months that it tends to be a bit of a lull, normally to give us a chance to write up things that we did at Rapid Plus TCT and, and AMOC. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were actually quite a few um, big news stories, one of them being SLM Solutions introducing its free float technology, which proposes support free 3D printing. And um, so this free float technology was announced in a, a huge digital presentation. Um, you know, it was a course we couldn't get to events. So they did um, they did a big online showcase for this and um, promising support free printing with reduced cost per part and increased um, design freedoms. So the big takeaway of free float is its ability to do away with support structures, which of course we know are a necessary evil in 3D printing, you've got to account for it being able to design for them and then also take them away after the print. And um, so it's something that can be very time consuming, also very costly when you consider those post-processing steps, uses more material, and then it even limits those design possibilities. So this idea that 3D printing is completely limitless, um, not necessarily true when you have to consider things like support structures. So with a free flow SLMCs, they, they can now benefit from higher productivity, previously unachievable designs, reduced post-processing times and materials savings and the ability to also pack more parts into a single build because if you think about it if you're doing away with support structures you can orientate parts in your design to really cram more into into your build plate which will obviously help with with mass production describing it to us slm solution ceo sam leary sort of sort as like another milestone not just for the company but for the entire industry because uh, we are talking about really unlocking some of those promises that additive manufacturing has been promising uh, for quite some time and also it has been offered uh, for free in the kind of the, the the basic end of the package there are other tiers as well to it but um, anyone can can get access to this technology to use with with an slm printer which also includes the 12 laser system that big multi-laser system the nxg 12600 that is correct isn't it sam <laughs> yeah i think so yeah i think and, and similar to the to what Farsoom we're, we're bringing out in may with the eight laser machine and and this is similar to that in a way where, you know, Vela 3D kind of came to market with a similar capability a few years back. And it's just nice to see that 
there must be a demand for it and and when you hear Sam O'Leary for example talk about it you think what what are the kind of applications that aren't being enabled mm. because of these restrictions that maybe now you know we're able to kind of jump that hurdle and what can come from that and obviously as you mentioned we've not seen any case studies come from it but it, I, it'll be really interesting to see what maybe comes out in the next year or two that can be kind of attributed to you know to this work that slm solutions have been done i think i'm right in saying they were working on it for a few years yeah, and also yeah. a kind of case of great minds thinking alike with with them and velo you know offering these um you know support less um capabilities so the next story from June, uh, not a launch, but 3D Systems selling off its on-demand manufacturing business for $82 million. This last year, year and a bit, has seen a lot of um, you know, investment, um, divesting, um, and kind of just really focusing on certain application areas where their technology uh, really matters. And we've got a feature coming up over the next few days on our website, which is just an overview of all the, the latest stuff that 3D Systems have been working on based on the uh, booth tour at Formnext, which of course showed off a lot of new applications and a lot of new products. Uh, but this was one of the biggest ones uh, from this year. So the company announced an agreement to sell off the on-demand manufacturing business to private equity firm, Trilantic North America. Yeah, I Again, really part of this kind of focus that the company has had over the last couple of years since uh, CEO Dr. Jeffrey Graves came on and to focus more on, on enabling manufacturing, additive manufacturing solutions for applications, doing away with bits of the business that don't necessarily make sense anymore. And I, th- I think what we've heard a lot more from 3D Systems this year on is um, the whole application development side of the business where they're not just selling machines and selling products to people. They, uh, it's kind of a, a tired statement now to say, but you know, they, they want to sell solutions. But part of that is the fact that they're doing a lot of application development in-house to really do that technology transfer to customers. So helping them with um, the application side of things, helping them really uh, tweak whatever application it is they're working on for additive manufacturing to really get the most of the technology and then transferring that um, to, the, uh, to the actual you know, real life manufacturing setups. Yeah, it strikes me as a bit more of a kind of measured approach to things. Three systems have kind of picked up this reputation, certainly in the past of, you know, when there's a kind of spate of M&A that they they really get stuck into it and they, <laughs> they, they invest a lot of money. And, you know, obviously in the last year or so, they've been kind of trying to divest some of that. And, you know, as we've seen in the case of the on-demand business and, you know, the acquisitions they have made this year it seems pretty pointed it's either as you say they want to you know focus on applications that you know that they see big opportunities in bioprinter for example or they're filling a gap in their portfolio as with the acquisition of octon and it's sensible and yeah it just kind of it's a bit more um measured and not kind of i don't know maybe a bit haphazard as it's been in the past Mm. um, which is good to say it's almost like um you know we talk about the industry maturing but it's it's like a business maturing and it's just maybe taking things a bit more one step at a time and and almost streamlining its energy and its strategy into certain facets rather than trying to Mm -hmm. be everything and, and be the best at everything yeah, definitely. And and I think you're right, you know, they've it, it is a much more measured approach. And you mentioned the the Octane acquisition and they've also acquired a few other companies this year. And and after divesting in certain elements, when I saw the acquisitions, I was a bit like, okay, well, 
what what's actually happening here but when you look at the types of companies that they've chosen to either partner with or, or acquire companies like united therapeutics coal plant and then um, acquiring and um, bioprinting solutions provider um alivi back in i think it was the summer um it's all really focused on that whole bioprinting um, side of the business so it all really really makes sense and then you've got the other side as well where they've acquired on uh, the software side of things to really boost that side of the industry where they're looking at industrial applications so I think that's the right terminology, Sam, you know, a, a, a measured approach to it. And any acquisitions they've made since, they've all felt um, very much in tune with, with everything else that's going on inside that business with this. Half of it focused on um, medicine and healthcare and bioprinting and the other half focused on those industrial applications. Yeah, the, the only other thing I'll say is you're very brave for promising an article um, <laughs> on a podcast um, before the end of the week because I did that two weeks ago and I am not going to keep that promise um so yeah the, the stratus article i think i mentioned will come out next year not this year <laughs> and last story from june uh, sam you spoke to meta additives uh, dr kate black during what we found to be the year of Bionager after uh, John Hartner from X1 and kind of coined that phrase at the start of last year. And it very much turned out to be true, although we were expecting a lot of Bionager launches, which never quite happened in 2021. Um, But this has been a really exciting company to watch, particularly given um, recent news. Yeah, they kind of, I don't know, snuck up on us really. Um, And it's a company that was founded off research, kind of carried out by Dr. Kate Black and her team, and then when we were at Formax, it kind of came up that they they there were another company being acquired by Desktop Metal, um, and and Meta Additive has developed a technology that uses non-sacrificial binders in its binder jet technology, so it removes the need for a debinding infiltration step, which reduces time and cost and shrinkage, um, and because the binder is technically build material, there's there's less physical waste and because of those fewer steps in the process it's a generally more sustainable process so what they're coming to market with is is something quite different um and i mean there's loads more detail on, on the q a on the tc magazine website that we we published in june so i'd encourage you to go and read through that but um yeah desktop metal's obviously seen enough and heard enough to integrate the company into its business um so it'll be interesting to see how they fit in um to what desktop metal are doing and obviously um i won't it's not really a spoiler because it's already happened but we'll talk about another significant acquisition they've done in a couple of months time as we run through this year well, I think that's a good way to finish part one of this uh, of this two-parter. And as Sam said, we do have more acquisition news to talk about in part two. So thank you very much for listening. Um, if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And you can also subscribe for your free copy of TST Magazine and get your whole subscription ready for 2022 by subscribing at tstmagazine.com, where you'll also be able to sign up for our weekly newsletter full of the biggest 3D printing news stories every single week. Thanks very much. And we'll see you again next time for part two. Thank you.